Developing Tomorrow's Leaders is a podcast that is all about educating, supporting, and inspiring the next generation of leaders. Welcome to another episode of Developing Tomorrow's Leaders. My special guest today is a communication coach specializing in taking intimidating factors out of public speaking. She's the creator of Project BU, an educational nonprofit dedicated to youth. This is a project she created with one goal, to instill confidence in her students through teaching them soft skills necessary for future success. She's been working with children for over seven years and now has developed several unique programs to teach soft skills, including communication skills, to kids of all ages. Project BU was created as a project based focusing on the positive association of years of working with youth to provide insight into their development and their needs. Please help me welcome Anna Scobie to Developing Tomorrow's Leaders. How are you, Anna? Good morning. Wow, did I write all that? That's too long. <laughs> no. get to the point faster. <laughs> now, the, I, I always say you can never give people enough information about what you do because um, you can give them an overview, but it's like, well, what is that really about? Would you really break it down? I think it's important. And what's so great about you being on is our missions align almost identically. We both have a passion and a mission to help the next generation of young people be successful because we know this crazy world that we're living in is already complicated and being young is even more complicated. So first, one first question I wanted to ask you is, what inspired you really to want to focus and put so much time, energy and effort into helping the next generation of young people? Well, it started with my children. I think as most of the parents, you are thriving to do your best. You are thriving to get your kids prepared for the most beautiful life out there. So my oldest one is 24 now. When he was in high school, I wanted him to learn the communication skills that I've learned in my adult life. I wanted him to have the skills to get into college he wanted. I wanted him to have skills to get the job interviews, to network, to make friends. And I looked around and at the time, think about eight years ago or so, at the time, there weren't many classes for that specific role to give kids that opportunity to learn that face-to-face communication, to learn that how do you shake hand? How do you make eye contact? How do you go talk to people you don't know? How do you network and small talk and all these things that I've learned as an adult and I wished I knew as a kid. So I started to look around and there weren't anything available at the time. And I was part of the Toastmasters International. I still am a part of the Toastmasters International. It's a nonprofit about communication. It's dedicated to teaching adults and the leadership and communication skills. And one of the members whispered and said, hey, I think they have something for kids. You should look into it. So I started digging, digging, and I found this program that they had for eight weeks. It's called a youth leadership program. And in that program, they do like a glimpse of communication skills for for kids, for younger adults, I should say, for high schoolers. So I found a few Toastmasters friends who helped me host that for my son and his classmates, because at the time he was in the debate team in his school. And he came to me one day and he was like, mom, we keep losing. 
And can you come and do something about it? I know we have a coach, we have all these things, but can you fix this somehow? Like we want to win before I graduate high school. I want to win. Can you come fix it? You keep telling me this communication skills are going to get me places. Can you get me the trophy with communication skills? And I said, okay, let mama handle this. So I came in, we did the communication skills. That's not how the story goes. They did not win, but because of all the skills, I had his friends who came to me and said, hey, can you come to my school? And can you teach me and my friends the skills? Can we figure this out together? So from there, it kind of started from me traveling from school to school when the kids would come to the teachers and say, hey, we want to start this speech club. We have a coach. Would you sponsor it? Like the teachers would have to initiate it. So we started from there. And then my youngest one was five at the time. So her friend's parents was like, we're hearing you doing these classes. We want you to do it for our little ones. And I was like, they're too young. Come on. What do they need? And then I start watching my five-year-old and my, her friends. And I start noticing the difference from when they were younger to when they got older. The kids are not born with the fear of public speaking. They develop it with the negative experience. So I start noticing that what was easier when they were three, when they just come up to anyone on the playground, it's like, hey, let's go play, be my friend. As they got to the being five, they were like, mm, I'm not sure I wanna ask that person. And then it got more and more sadder as, as it goes along. So I started to read and I started to search and that's when the Project BU was born because I wanted classes for my five, six years old, because I wanted to give them skills so we don't have to overcome the fear. We can build on it and we can give them skills to never face mm -hmm. it. Or if face it, they face it with tools and skills. Right. That's my long answer again. Here we go. I guess I can't <laughs> really do short stories. <laughs> no, that's a great example. I mean, what's interesting is, is, is pretty interesting how you described how kids are when they're young. We all know, man, they have no inhibitions whatsoever. I mean, they ask the why questions a million times and they have no yes. problem doing that. But it's all about the surroundings they have, right? As they get older and they realize, hey, well, I may want to think twice about asking that. And and like to your point, as they get older, it's tougher for some kids if they don't have the skills to know how to communicate. So I think yeah. that's great. And, and you say it's the long answer. No, it's a great answer because it goes to show how you identify a problem. And then you create a solution. And that's what you've done. You've created a solution with both your son and with your daughter, which I think is great. And that's what's the that's what's important about helping this next generation of leaders is the experiences that we've had, the experience you have with your son led to what you're doing now. So I think that's a wonderful, that's not a long answer. That's a great answer. <laughs> well, we also have, unfortunately, our educational system adds to this. We have overcrowded classroom. We have overwhelmed teachers. So very often we create that negative communication experience in the classroom because teacher just can't attend to 30 plus students in that short period of time and have them pass the test scores and have this great results. So often the kids get attention when they're doing something wrong. So they develop that connection like oh I spoke and I was told I was wrong and all of a sudden like oh I'm not speaking again because I don't want that feel I don't want that consequences because teachers just can't get to the student to say hey you wrote this letter this is so cool you are doing good or we would tell them use your word but 
we're not telling them how to use the words. They don't know how to use their words. They need someone to come and say, this is how you ask this question. This is how you approach this situation. Not a role play, not a hypothetical case scenario, not what if, because that goes right over their heads. But in the moment, we, we go through this positive with the classes we go through this positive association like oh that was a cool story you just told this is great can can you do this again versus you're doing this wrong in fact we i prefer most of the time not really worry about what they're doing wrong but go for this was really cool did you just realize you did it and say like, oh you just messed up that's brilliant because now you know how not to do this let let's mess up together again one more time yeah that's a great approach. And back to your point about schools and teachers, uh, I think this is so important too. You're absolutely right. The school system is not really set up to support this type of learning because of the, number one, the curriculums, and number two, just the way the system is set up. The system set up for teachers to teach the curriculum, and that is it. They're not given the time to spend with students to be able to help them learn and teach them how to learn versus just yeah. teaching them a subject and testing them, testing them on a particular lesson. So I think that's really key. But it also leads to why it's so important to have outside resources like yourself to help not just students, but I think the other part you mentioned earlier about how parents were hearing word of mouth that what you were providing was beneficial to kids that their kids knew, and then they wanted to take advantage of that. And this is what's really important as we get into this digital age and education is shifting to more of online. And there's so many resources out there for kids. And I think this is so important. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, so the other part was, I know that your program does more than just the communication part, because just like with mine, I recover a lot of different areas like leadership and goal setting and things of that nature. But I think what's important, no matter what topic it is, soft skill, communication is always the center point of all of that. Would you not agree? Yes, I think to me, communication and confidence, they are like right there with each other, because when you are confident, you can communicate. But in the same way, if you can communicate, it adds up to the confidence. It builds that skill. So to me, communication, confidence is one thing. And we need confidence for, for anything, for stepping out of the comfort zone, for speaking up, for defending or protecting what's right and what's wrong and doing all kinds of amazing things. You need that confidence. And I don't mean like in your face, you know, put me in, I'm going to be on the spotlight, but more like that inner voice that says, I think I can. I, th I think my goal is to help my students to have that inner voice that tells them, I think I can, because each one of us have this inner critic that says you're doing this wrong and you can do harder and you can do more work and you can do this and you can have to keep up with this Johnson's and you have to keep up with what little Johnny does. You have to, you have to, you're doing this wrong. So my goal is to create that cheerleader that says, hey, that was cool. <laughs> you did it. And then when we have this balance, we are able to function because this critic is the one that pushes us to learn the new skills that pushes us to try harder to be better but then we also need to celebrate those little things and it's it's just the communication can be practiced to answer your question communication can be practiced in so many different ways my students my students do a lot of different projects uh, through our pandemic we published a book because I wanted them to go through the process of 
creating something with themselves and then presenting it to the world and having a feedback from the world to them. And through the project, we went through time management. We went through project management. We went through editing. We went through, oh, this didn't flow. Oh, there's a mistakes here. How do I draw this? How do I change this? How do I fix this? So we've learned the skills as we do in it. And that's my big thing. I, I don't like, I can't stand role plays. <laughs> I don't like this whole let's pretend thing. I prefer like, hey, let's do it and learn the skill as we do in it. Right now, my leaders, my communicators are getting ready for the business show. They have been developing their little project. Um, each one of them have the product that they developed. And because it's a holiday season coming up, we will be visiting a few business fairs, uh, craft fairs, farmers market, where they would sell their products. And again, we went from, I think I can make this to, oh, why would anybody buy this? To, oh, I actually sold it. So we're going through like the process of creating and the process of empowerment because they decide what they want to sell. They decide how they want to make it. They take ownership of making it. And then we learn the small talk. We learn presentation. We learn short pitch, elevator pitch. We learn all kinds of skills in the project. There is speech competitions. There are networking events. So I'm taking my, my students to as many different places to see different people, to meet different people. And every time we go to farmer's market and every time we go to events, there are customers who are coming in. We've had business owners who are coming in and supporting and teaching them how to do things. So they are emerged in this world where people are empowered. They have a choice. My, my one of the main focus this, this time is to teach them that there's always a choice. We may not have control over the situation in, in one words, like we may not have a choice of going to school or not going to school, because let's face it, not all of us are capable of doing homeschooling, myself included. I don't think I can ever do a homeschool. So we have to somehow figure out how this educational system, how we're going to work with it. The goal is you have a choice to decide. You have a choice to hate it every moment and make everybody miserable, including yourself, or you have a choice to find something that makes it worth it something that you can get benefits from so it was the same thing with the money every time i ask them like hey what is money to you how do you fix it in the beginning of the classes it was more like well i don't have it my parents have it i'm broke you know i want to have money but i don't have it and then now we're into mindset well what what can we do about it because i want to get away from that entitlement mindset where like oh you have to give me something you owe me something you, you whatever, whatever i want them to look at it and say okay this is the situation what is what are my choices and if even if they decide to okay i don't want anything to do with it like i don't want to do anything about it i'm just going to give up that's a choice and i want them to have that choice i want them to have that mindset there's always a choice you can make it you can choose not to sell you can choose to try you can choose to approach a different way and 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 that's that's the project overview we 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 learn by doing and trying and not making it we've had some fairs when the girls would come in and they were like the worst fair ever and then we sit down and we're like, okay, what was so bad about it? Let's let's write it out. The customers weren't really buying. So it first goes through, the customer weren't buying, nobody was paying attention, nobody was listening to it. And then once we got through that of that, we got to like, hmm, I wasn't talking too much. I wasn't putting that much effort. So all of a sudden we go from somebody's fault to, oh, 
I, I could have done a little bit better and I could have done this. So we go in for the ownership and then we go through, oh, there is a choice. We had a choice. Yeah, some customer were not buying. That's their choice. What was your choice? You had chosen to give up and be miserable. That's a choice. Perfect. I'm glad you're realizing it. You're recognizing it. What can we do better next time? Well, next time I can choose to smile. I can choose. So it's about choice. I want to give them that option because kids these days, honestly, when I speak with them, a lot of them feel like they don't have a choice. They feel like they have to finish the school. They have to do what the parents tell them. They have to do these things they don't hate, that they don't like doing because parents are trying to give the kids the best life. And sometimes they forget to ask the kids what the kids want. So they end up making them do something the kids don't like. And that takes away the empowerment. That takes away the spark. So I want to bring it back to where the child has that option of choice. And at the same time, has a choice to come to a parent and say, hey, mom, I really hate this piano lessons. Is there a reason why you're making me do it? Like, is there a better way for me to learn what you want me to learn and not doing what I hate doing? So giving them that option to have that voice inside that says, I have a choice. Let me figure out how can I voice that choice? What can I do with that choice? So in that, I, there's two major things that you talked about there that I absolutely love. And it's also um, what I think is so important. Two words, the two E words, empowerment and entitlement. I personally have been on this, uh, I guess you call it mini mission of challenging people that always talk so much about the entitlement of this generation of young people. And I say, Okay, you say that, but what are you doing to change that narrative? And you just describe a perfect example of how you do that. And then the second part about the empowerment part, you're absolutely right. Kids don't feel as though they have a voice because they've been conditioned to be told what to do and to be taught not to question anything so that they're not able to determine and make decisions like what you're describing, making decisions that are going to that they're going to learn from whether they're successful or not, because just like you described, they learn from every experience that they go through, just like with kids going through the fair. It's like it was the worst one. Yeah, but you you didn't just let it go. You addressed it and by addressing it. That's how they quickly get over it. And that is I think is what's so important about preparing kids. But I want to go back and, and really focus on this parent part, too, because I think this is really important. I talk a lot with parents when I talk to them about don't be afraid to be vulnerable and authentic with your kids. Because when one of the reasons that kids, I believe that they don't question anything is because they're given this perception that parents are perfect and they make no mistakes because parents don't inherently share with kids that, hey, you know, I made mistakes when I was younger. This is how I overcame them. So I challenge kids to ask their their parents questions like that. Hey, mom, dad, tell me something about your past. So two things happen. Number one, they get to find out about their parents. Number two, they find out their parents aren't perfect. And then they're a little more comfortable. And then they're able to communicate more with their parents. And we have a little game that we play. It's called the thought-provoking questions. And, you know, it's like um, uh, one of the questions we ask. Uh, so you ask your parents, there's a fire and in the house and you have three things that you can save what are those three things well 
course, if you ask your kids, first thing you're going to say, my game console, my phone, and my computer, right? Um, but as kids, we did this in a circle. And as the kids went around, the others started thinking a little bit more because the first couple were giving selfish answers. And then as it went around, they started thinking about, oh, my family. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to save my personal things, but I'm going to leave my family in the house. So it kind of gets them to think a little bit. So I flipped that and I go, well, I'm asking you that question. That's the same kind of question you can ask your parents. And that opens up the doors for communication for you to find out more about your parents and also to connect with them in a deeper level to strengthen your relationship with them. It is. I, I, I totally agree with you. We, we play a lot of games with, with my students, too. And some of them are the story cubes and it's the little cubes with the little pictures on them. And you roll them, whatever comes on the cubes, you tell the stories. And a lot of times when they start telling stories, the stories of bullying, the horrible things that happen, they come up, but they come out with like the fox and, and a wolf and there was this person. But then the kids have an opportunity to talk about it. And then the parents can have an opportunity to ask like, hey, what did that person end up doing when the other person was bullying them? Like, what did that fox do when the, when the Hitchcock was laughing at him? So it's a perfect, like those conversations. And a lot of times as parents, we're scared to have this conversation. I was one of those parents. And, and I still have some of the talk, some of the moments where I kind of feel like I'm uncomfortable with it simply because I have my own childhood traumas, if you will. And we all have it as parents because we all have, you know, there's a joke. How do you know you need a therapist? If you had parents, you need therapists. So <laughs> we all had parents who had their pack baggage and, and their parents had their baggage. So I have my baggage being a parent, but I was fortunate enough on my journey to this communication world where now my parent, my, my kids, my own kids can come and say, hey, mom, th this isn't working for me. Um, and it started, I'm not sure if I shared with you before, my journey into being a better parent started with my oldest one said uh, to me, he was like, we need to have a drink. And I was like, all right, I'm in the cool kid crowd. My oldest one wants to have a drink. And then as we poured the drink, he's like, we have to talk. And I was like, oh, shit, what do you mean? Like this, nothing ever comes out of with this phrase, we have to talk. And then he looked at me, he was like, you need to be a better parent. Whatever it is that you're doing, I know you're trying your hard, but I need you to try harder. I need you to be a better parent. And that was a wake up call with like, you know, it went from like, are you serious? Like, I'm just going to smack you upside the head. Like the, the initial reaction was like, I'm doing my best. You know, you're just ungrateful. But then as that emotion passed, it got to like, okay, the child is communicating. There is something that obviously triggers this and then we were able to have a conversation like what do you mean can you tell me more what do you think you need can you share what are some needs that I'm not meeting by by being what I need to be doing and then right after him I don't know maybe the moons lined up a certain way after him my youngest one had I was talking to her in at night and she was having a bad day and I was keep telling her stories and she looks at me she's like mom I know you love me, but you're doing it the wrong way. And I was like, oh, come on, not you two. I thought out of the two of you, I got something right, at least you. And she's like, I don't want the story right now. 
I just wanted you to be silent and just hug me. And I am thrilled in a sense. I mean, it is hard to take as a parent, going back to the vulnerability, it's hard to take that openness from the kids because everything inside of you gives you that I have to be a better parent for them to love me. I have to be this perfect parent for them to love me, for them to be proud of me. And that prevents us from being on their level. And I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled and I'm excited that I was able to meet those hard emotions with my kids. And I stayed stable and I didn't make it as, okay, there's something wrong with me. I'm a horrible mother. Let me just get a crawl in the corner and, and cry. Well, I did that too with the therapist. <laughs> but after that, it was more like, okay, how do we how do we be more vulnerable? And it took some time for me to figure out the best conversation I can have with my son where I can actually open up and tell him some of my childhood traumas with my parents for him to better understand me. And I can share some of the stories with my youngest one and being vulnerable again, because what I'm learning is that it's so hard to reach that perfection. And when you have this person in front of you that you admire the most and you think like, I can never reach that level of perfection, it's discouraging. But when that person comes down and say, hey, I messed up, like I made a mistake, this, this is what I have, but nevertheless, we are in this together. Like I keep joking with my kids and I keep saying, hey, you guys stuck with me. So the more we do this, the more I mess up, the more stories you'll have for your therapists. And I keep joking with them saying, hey, maybe you can you know, get one for both of you because maybe they'll give you a discount. So I am, I am meeting that vulnerability and I'm approaching it from like, yes, I am human. How about that? <laughs> I make mistakes. I mess up. I really do. And I truly apologize for things I've done without realizing it was hurting you. But it, it, takes, it takes a lot of courage and a lot of effort and therapy. I keep saying therapy because we can't, society tells us that we're supposed to be this perfect parent, but we can't because perfection does not exist. What we can do is to be there with our kids, having the conversations, be able to be strong in that moment and to say, okay, yes, I'm not perfect. And I'm not a perfect parent at all, but guess what? I love you. <laughs> and that's, and that's what makes it better yeah. in a sense. So being vulnerable is hard. Yeah, it is. But I, I really appreciate you sharing that from a um, parental standpoint. I mean, I know you came on as a, you know, talk about the, uh, your work, but this shift in from you giving examples as a parent is huge and powerful. So I, I, I for all of the listeners out there, this is uh, you just gave a perfect example of how to be the perfect parent. And then I <laughs> no, said, no, and no, I, said, I don't like no, no, perfect. No, well, perfect. no, I know what you mean. To, yeah, nobody's perfect. But here's what I mean when I say perfect parent. You're willing to be vulnerable. Number one, that's the most important thing. If anything kids need, they need to know that. No, no one is perfect. And if somebody's willing to share their faults and their failures, that's a that's a perfect example for them to know that they have faults and they're going to have failures and then they can overcome those. So that's what I mean by perfect parent. Um, and no, no one is perfect, but it's so important for kids to know and as early as possible. I mean, I go back to when you're talking about your five-year-old daughter and, and the transition from how outgoing and uninhibited she was. That can continue throughout if it's done correctly. And for your kids to call you out, if you will, about <laughs> yes. your parenting, yeah, more kids can do that. But the other part of the message, I think that this is what I got out of it. Now, keep in mind, I'm not a parent, 
but so I'm on the fence. I, I deal with parents, I deal with kids. So I hear it from both sides. And I know, in my humble opinion, what could be successful. And it's the communication, but it's also parents understanding they don't have to be tried to be perfect. They don't have to say, because I said so, or this is the way it is, because as kids get old, especially preteens and teens, they will shut down in a heartbeat and they will question everything that they hear from that moment on because they're going, okay, my parents are authority figures. Okay, authority figures say this, this is what it is. I can't challenge that. Well, I won't challenge that. And then now they become more introverted. Then they become depressed. And then that just leads to more negative things possibly happening. So what? that's why I appreciate you sharing that. So it's so important for parents to uh, understand that they can be vulnerable. But here's the other part that's really important, how you've received your children telling you that. That's the other thing that's really huge too. Yeah, you were probably hurt by it at some, from some degree, of, and that's natural. But the other part of it, that you were probably more proud of the fact that they shared with you so that you be could become a better parent, but it also shows what resiliency your kids have and it makes you feel more comfortable about where they're going because you know they're willing to speak up for themselves. It's um, having that safe space. And, and I think a lot of times as a parent, we think that, okay, I'm just going to create this, this unnatural environment of things are going to be perfect and okay every time. So when you're having a bad day, you come home and you put this fake smile on your face and you pretend like, yeah, it's okay. I'm just going to cook dinner and we're going to pretend like nothing happens. But then kids intuitively sense your emotion. They feel that you're not okay, and but they see your smile. So they feel that disconnect and, and they're not understanding like what is happening because they, they intuitively feel each other. So we started with, with, with my kids. I started to share. And if I'm having a bad day, I can tell my, yeah, my, my oldest one is in New York now. So it's a little harder to share with him with my youngest one. I can tell her it's been a long day. It's really been a long day. And I really don't want to talk right now. I just, let's just have dinner. I love you. It's nothing against you. It's nothing personal. I had a long day and sometimes she would say you know do you want to talk about it and and sometimes I can give her some details and sometimes she'll be okay with me saying I want to talk about it but that goes with me giving her the same respect too when she comes in and I ask her you know how was your day she sometimes would say it's been a long day I you know I hated this day and I give her the same approach okay do you want to talk about it do you, do you just want to sit quietly or do you want me to hug you do you want to be by yourself so and being able to respect that and when your kids say because what I'm hearing from my students if they try to share something with their parents and if they try to tell parents oh you know I'm, I'm feeling miserable the parents intuitively trying to fix things. They jump in. They want you to tell them what's wrong. They want to fix it. They want to send emails. They want to figure it out. And a lot of it comes from just that intuitive reaction of being a parent. However, we as a parent need to start asking our kids what the kid need and be okay with our kids saying, leave me alone. Because think about it this way, how many times we as an adult want to be left alone? We just want the door closed and no one comes and asks us 
questions, right? Why don't we give that to our kids? Why do we feel like we have to jump in and fix everything? We can't, we shouldn't, we don't need to, because if we keep fixing our kids, they are, will not be capable of doing it on their own. So we, we are not empowering them. We are creating the sense of entitlement. We are telling them, you know, I'm just going to fix it for you. Here's the solution. You are entitled to the solution because I want to be a perfect parent. And this creates this nonsense that we all end up in like a closed circle. There is no way out. Instead, we need to separate and say, hey, I can't fix this. Like, I really want to, but I can't fix this problem for you. But I'm here for you. Let's do it together. I'm going to be by your side. What can I do to help you? And sometimes that... I believe in you because that's what the kids hear. When the kids hear, you can do better. You can try harder. This is going to be okay. What they hear is there's something wrong with me because I am not doing it on my own. Instead, we can come in and say, I see there is a problem. What do you think I can do to help? What do you think you can do with it? And let them try it. Let them figure it out. Because in most cases, the kids already have the thought of how they want to fix the issue they're having. And it's us as a parents who come in and say, no, this is not going to work. I'm going to fix it myself. You know what that tells them? I don't trust you. And I don't trust you is the worst feeling a child can have from a parent. Because they need to know that you are a team. They need to know that you're behind them, no matter how much they mess up, no matter how bad they do at school, no matter what teacher says, you are with them on their side always, and they need to know it. But with us saying, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to email the teacher. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. That tells them, oh, I guess she doesn't think I can fix it on my own, so... I'm not good enough for this. And that's, we're trying too hard as a parent. I guess what I'm saying, we're trying too hard. It's quite simple. Just ask, what does your child need? And let them speak without you freaking out. No matter what they say, just listen. Just listen. Don't react. Just listen. Yeah. Just listen. No, you, those are the great examples. And actually, uh, to your point about, you know, letting them ask questions, I shift the responsibility, not necessarily to exclude parents, but to empower the kids. Um, I give a quick example. Uh, this is what happened about four years ago. We we're having our um, open gym. We have every we were having every Sunday, and the kids have jerseys that they wear when they come to the open gym. So you know we can play games and they're reversible, so we can switch the teams up. One young man comes in, he doesn't have his jersey. And I go, where's your jersey? He goes, my mom forgot it. And I'm like, I said, no. Um, who's playing, your mom or you? And he says, I am. I said, well, then who should be responsible for having the jersey? He goes, me. I said, well, this is the last time we had this conversation. So it wasn't, because sometimes it has to be direct, but still get the message across because you want them to think when they leave. Yeah. So inherently, the next time, I mean, he never forgot it moving forward. But I empower kids to be responsible so that they can show their parents that they're responsible. So they can go home. Like, for instance, there may be some instances where there may be some um, expectations on my part that the kids can't make that decision, but they can share what the expectations are with the parents. Hey, Coach T said, this is what we're going to do. So now the parents say, okay, 
I got it. You got to be there at a certain time, whatever. So now they're taking ownership of that process. And what happens, it conditions them to accept the responsibility and takes it off. And then some parents, I share that with them. Hey, not only am I coaching basketball, I'm also coaching life skills and teaching your kids to be responsible, which I'm working with you to help them become more responsible so that they can. Um, and some parents and a lot of parents really appreciate it. I think some probably take offense to it, but that's okay. You know, everybody doesn't like it because they feel like you're stepping on their toes and that's not the intention. You're but, not a chocolate. You can't. Yeah, everybody does not going to like you. Like, don't try no. it. You know how they say that everybody likes chocolate. It's like, you're not a chocolate. Not everybody's going to yeah. like you. Move on. Yeah. You're okay. <laughs> yeah. Not everybody's going to like it. But at the same time, it's also an opportunity for those that may not like it. Maybe they think a little bit it's like, yeah, they all, you know, the saying goes, it takes a village. And all I'm trying to do is be part of that village to help you empower your kids to be successful. So that's the hardest part as a coach and a mentor is to realize that, yes, you can't help everybody. You can't please everybody. But as long as you're getting through the one, it's worth it. And then one, one leads time. to two. Yeah, one at a time, one leads to two, two to three, and so on and so forth. So that's really ultimately the, the goal. And empowering kids to make those decisions and it works for the most part but at the same time depends on how much of a whole parents have tells you how much work you have to do from That's our true. side with my with, with my experience it is a lot of my hardest work is with parents even though I don't really directly work with them other than giving them an update but it's it's kind of like keeping them back <laughs> because the parents want to get involved when we are getting prepared for the business fairs a lot of parents are not letting kids make their decision about the product but they're jumping in saying oh this isn't going to work this is too hard to make this is too long this and then me trying to say let the kids decide let them do their process and let them pack let them bring like you were saying let them decide what color that color doesn't match it's okay it's not about you. It's not right. your, it's not matching for you, but it matches perfectly for them. Let them do it because they need to be able to be that hands-on empowered. Like I can do it. Thing. So it's, it's the parents a lot of times that I would have to like, guys, it's okay. I got this. <laughs> you, yeah. you, you trust me. Trust me. I know. I know the process. Trust me with the process. So parents and, and I, I, as a parent, I am doing the same thing on the other end. It's like, let me do this. This doesn't matter. <laughs> so it's, it's easier to get into that. Let me just fix things because we do want to make sure that our kids are taken care of. And we, a lot of us are trying to give them a lot of things we didn't have as kids. And I think that drive of giving them things we didn't have sometimes overpowers in a sense, like a logic where like, okay, where do you stop? Like, okay, the kid have, you didn't have toys. The kid has like a room full of toys. Where do you stop? Like how much, how much toys? And they still playing with boxes, right? You keep buying them toys and they're still playing with boxes. So you kind of go back. It's like, okay, maybe I overdid it a little bit. Maybe they don't need that much. So I think what, as a parent, we think that they need this much, but really they just want someone who say, to have conversations, someone to listen. Um, I do want to say a big thank you to you because my, my students started to read. I pass it to, from one student to another and they started to read it and the way we do it. So one reads it and then brings it back and shares a few things that stood out 
to them from the book. And if we, we're doing it almost like a book club, but we have one book, so they take turns because I'm curious to see what each one of them will get out of it. So I took a little note and so far what stood out to them as as like a key point that they brought about is the effort that you talk about putting effort you have to put an effort that simplicity that a lot of times we think like we overcomplicate things like we think it has to be the something big and huge and grand and they like the concept of okay it doesn't have to be complicated it can be simple and expectations like how do you think of the expectations and how a lot of our I guess disappointments comes because we have this crazy unreasonable often unreasonable expectations and how kind of managing the expectations makes a difference so I wanted to I wanted to share with you those few things that so far uh, my, my students are bringing back as a feedback from your book so thank you so much for writing it and putting effort no. into it no well thank you i appreciate you sharing that and i really appreciate you doing it. i love that concept of a kind of book club kind of sharing it and having a conversation and it truly is um i had goosebumps here i didn't even know you're going to do that that's awesome thank you so much for that that means a lot to me and like i said it's uh it's great to hear those because the simplicity part when you mentioned that Believe it or not, it's the simplicity and the attitude are probably the two biggest things for me, because, you know, you keep it simple, then it keeps the attitude positive, you know, so it's not complicated. So it's great that the kids are understanding that simplistic aspect of it um, and the expectations. That's kind of cool to, to see they got something different out of it. Again, this is where we learn. So here I, I write a book and you're telling me something that I didn't really focus on when writing it, but that's something they got out of it. So I got to make a note of that. So thank you. For well, it is um, a lot of a lot of my students, their parents have a very high expectations for them and they have a very high expectations for them because their parents have a high expectations for them. So I often remind my parents to think back to when they were this age and I remind them to be the adult they needed when they were 12, 13, 14, 15. And when I, when I kind of shifted a little bit, it's like, hey, if you were this kid and you had a rough day, did you want someone to tell you you can do better? I mean, really? Or did you want somebody to just hug you and tell you that they love you? So shifting that perspective of being that adult you wish you had in your life, it kind of helps parents see it a little bit from a different perspective because it puts them in the shoe of a child. And I think expectations are often other one that's driving families apart because the parents have this expectations of the kid doing all A's or winning this awards or going to this competition or doing these things. And the kid is like, I am doing my best and I am not living up to these expectations. So that creates that sense of I am not enough. And with that feeling, I am not enough. It's the miserable feeling. I am. I, I was raised with that feeling. And I know that my parents meant the most important things in their life. They were pushing me hard to, to be that achiever. So I have choices in life. And the way they would say it would be, you know, next time you can do better. You, you got to work harder. You go to put your effort and you're going to do better. And what I've heard is I'm not enough. 
I'm not enough of their love. I'm not enough to the, to get a praise. I'm not enough. So I tried harder. I tried harder because I wanted them to be proud of me. And now when I look back and when we do have a conversation with my parents, they were like, we were the most proudest parents ever. And I was like, but you never told me that. (laughs) Right. So I think that's where a little bit of a disconnect. We talk about our kids to another parents and we say how proud we are and how much they mean to us and how much amazing they are. But then we don't tell it to our parents. I mean, to our kids. I have my kids. Well, I keep calling my students my kids. It's all mixed in now. But my students would say, all I ever wanted is for my parent to say that I am better than my brother. And I looked at them and I were like, your mom talks about you being better than your brother all the time. Like, that's all I hear, that you are way smarter, that you are overachiever, that you're doing so much more than your brother. And she was like, really? No way. And I was like, yeah, your mom talks about you and the brother all the time. She was like, but she doesn't say that to me. So I always feel like my brother is better. I mean, I know there's a sibling rivalries. I have a sibling too. And I grew up feeling that it's like my sister is way better. And now that my sister and I, we are adults. And when we talk together and I was like, Hey, you know, I have these feelings. And she looks at me, she's like, I had the same feeling that they like you more because they always talk about you better. And I was like, they always talk about you better. (laughs) So I think it was like, oh my God, as a parents, we're doing that. Instead of telling our kids how amazing they are, we tell all the world around us how amazing they are, but we don't tell them. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that. So I'm, I'm 58 years old and I got a text from my mom last week to tell me how proud she was of me because she was reading my book. And so, but they've always done that, but I just wanted to share that regardless of how old you are and you're always your parents, little son or daughter, little boy, little girl. And so that's the kind of thing that is always great. You know, your parents are always behind you. Now I have two brothers. I'm in the middle. I have an older and younger. So I got to really think long and hard about whether, you know, who got talked about or whatever, but uh, I know that my mom was always, my parents always, my dad was here. They always told us when they were proud of us and um, always made us feel good about you know, who we were and allowing us to make mistakes and also leaving the door open for us to have conversations. And I share with um, several people recently uh, when my father uh, passed, he used to write letters. He was in the Marine Corps, so he was he overseas a lot, but we wrote letters Hand, hand uh, handwritten letters. So he used to send letters and we'd write back and forth. And I still have the letters that he wrote. And when I go back and read those, they were just like we were sitting across from each other. Those were the kind of conversations we had through letters. And why that's so important in this particular part of this conversation, going back to what you were talking about, the importance of you know leaving the door open and having those conversations with uh, your kids and allowing them to ask questions. I remember one letter I wrote to my dad. I was having girl problems. So I'm writing him a letter. He's over in Japan, but I'm writing these letters. And he wrote me back and he was asking me questions. He wasn't telling me what to do. He was asking me questions to make me think. And after I read the letter, I read it a couple of times and I started laughing like, yeah, that makes sense. Instead of him going, this is what you do, son. This is what you do. He gave me advice. 
and then or gave me suggestions and feedback, if you will, and then let me make decisions after that. You've had a and conversation. I, yeah, that, we had a conversation. I think what I'm trying to say with the parents, we got to have conversations. Conversations, yeah. And then you can even do it in long, and that was long distance when your phone calls the letters. So that was weeks at a time in between. So I had to sit on writing it, sending it, going, okay, am I doing the right thing? But it taught you patience and like you were able to process things and things were slowing down. That is so, I'm sure the letters are precious. I I can't even imagine all the feelings and emotions that comes with those letters and you having them after I wrote a note down. I want to try to have uh, my students write letters to themselves and then I want to keep them and, and then give it to them afterwards. I keep joking with them saying, because they've been with me since they were five, six year old. They are now 12, 13, 15. And I was like, I'm going to see you through the high school. And I'm going to be the one at your graduation with most embarrassing stories and pictures. So you better be on my good side because I have pictures of you in all (laughs) kinds of poses. So I want to start and and thank you for inspiring me. I want to start that writing letter to future myself and giving that encouragement or giving those it's going to be okay kind of thoughts. And I want to start those collections for them. Thank you. I just, I just got inspired. I got my good moms. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing. Actually, I was a little hesitant to share this kind of because it's kind of personal. But then I realized the more I had conversation with people like this one, you realize that there are more than there's not always verbal communication that kids need. And to to the point of I'm making, I can always go back and remind myself of the relationship I have with my father. Um, yeah. I know I knew it was special. But when you read his words and if you knew my father, he was um, probably most genuine man you'd ever want to meet. But he wasn't a man of many words but whatever he said but you felt it yeah you could feel it but so now you go from knowing who he was and having conversations to reading how he writes is different than how he spoke and it was a deeper a connection because it was more thought put into it and here he is thousands of miles away and takes the time to not not two words three words we're talking two three page letters Wow. You know, I think that that uh, speaks volumes for, you know, the the relationship we had. He found time. He found time and put an effort. So that effort that you referenced to, I think a lot of times we don't, we tell kids you got to put effort, but they don't know what that means. Like what is, it's a word, right? But then how do we show them what effort is? Of course, they're watching us, but we're not always pointing it out to them like hey this is effort this is me trying and I start doing it with, with with my daughter I was two I was like it didn't work out well but this is what I did I put an effort into it so I kind yes. of using my words explaining we had um I had an open house for one of my classes and not too many students came in for an open house and at the end I was a little bummed and I, and I came to her and she's like how did it go and I was like I'm a little upset it didn't it didn't work out the way I wanted to and she's like yearly what happened so she asked me I start hearing her asking me the same question she's like what happened tell me a little bit more details so I start telling her and she's like hmm what do you think what do you think we can do better next time <laughs> and and then she and then the end she was like well at least you put an effort into it. <laughs> right. So right. that was kind of cool to hear them doing the same thing to me 
as I am going through the process to her. And I think to me, that's that process of learning where the kids feel that, feel that they have that understanding of how do I ask questions to not just talk and, and try to make me to feel better. She let me talk. She actually asked, hey, tell me. what is it instead of like oh it's going to be okay and give the whole pep talk with the story she's like no tell me let let your emotion sometimes she does it she's like let your emotions go and I was like how did you get so smart and then I stood back I was like oh okay I did it I did it (laughs) (laughs) I love it and you should take credit for it that's what we do I mean we we help mold the next generation and you should take pride in that so absolutely brag about that you share it because remember you you start with one and one leads to two two to three and so on and so forth but is that critic critic and cheerleader like I'm balancing them like yeah I I may I can have a list of all the things I did wrong but at the same time and I teach that to my students too if you're making a list of all the things you did wrong make a list of things you did right and they have to match so if you wrote 10 things that you did wrong write 10 things even if it's just i got up and i showed up that's two things you did right (laughs) right there so did you have breakfast before you came yes write that down because you took care of yourself because you had breakfast so i'm teaching them to find something good in the bad things that happened. And that's a skill too, I think, of balancing that critic and a cheerleader thing. That's why I, I learned to do the whole praise because, you know, as a, as a kid, there wasn't really like, it wasn't the style of my parents. It was more like motivation. You can do better. When I was your age, I did this. And, 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 and it was a driving force, but it also were some of the reason I end up bringing my issues to the therapist because that driving force was overlooking and overseeing and overdriving all other emotions that came with it. And eventually, you know, that that's, I guess, like the big thing, no matter how deep we hide our emotions, eventually they're going to, we're going to face it in one form or another, because it's just like shoving things in the closet. Eventually you're going to run out of space. And that closet, that shelf, those boxes are going to coming down to your head, head. piling up with all kinds of issues. And you would be standing there like, wow, where did all this come from? So it's better to deal with it on a smaller scale than trying to push it back and then having it all avalanche at you at once at the worst possible time. Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. And uh, I, I appreciate you sharing that, you know, your uh, relationship with your parents and, and what you've learned from it and what you've grown from it. But at the same time, that's what makes you so good at what you do because of the experience you've had in the past. And that's exactly what we're trying to teach kids is the experiences you've had in the past. You know, they do help define your future. And I used to be a, a proponent that your past does not have to dictate your future, but in reality, it does. Because it made me reflect back on my childhood to your point. You know, things have happened years before. You think that they're so negative that they, they're not going to affect your future or your, your present or your future. In reality, they do. And ever since I've done that, it's changed my approach to how I coach and how I mentor, too, because yeah. I've been able to pull from those. And those are actually the authentic and genuine approach that I have with kids. And I think to what you do and what I do and what others do. Kids also recognize when parents are, you know, you read reference to it earlier, they know when you're being genuine and authentic or when you're just trying to put on a face to say, hey, I'm strong and I can do this. You know, they they can tell that. And kids have told me, and I'm sure your kids tell you the same thing. 
there's a connection they have with you because they know that you're very genuine and you will ask them the questions just as much as you allow them to ask you the questions as you ask them questions and them knowing you'll be honest with them makes it more comfortable for you to have a relationship and build a relationship with them a strengthen relationship and be able to teach them more because they trust you and you don't judge them. I don't judge them. Some parents, unfortunately, don't intend to, but I think they it do. Happens, yeah. It happens, but I, we know it's not intentional, but that's why what we do is so important because we both help kids, but we also try to help parents. Yeah. I've had a few parents who come to me and they were like, no matter what I do, my kid is all pissed off at me. I love them so much, but they don't feel it. And I was like, did you tell them? And they look at me like, they don't know I love them. I was like, you know, there's five languages of love, right? And one of them is through words. So yeah. if your child love language is words and you're not telling them you love them, they don't think, they don't feel that you love them. And they look at me like, what it's that simple i was like yes <laughs> it's going back to your simplicity it's that really? five yeah. languages and a lot of parents and and when, when they come to me and they ask like what is it that i can do the first usually the first question is do you know your child's love language and they were like what i was like well you know there's five ways we feel loved right and it's it's a it's a thing. I'm not making this up. It's a love language. It's a designed by scientists. Well, it's discovered by psychologists, and it's it's a it's a concept. And we can Google it. There are tests that you can take. So there's five ways we feel loved: from being touched to service. When we let's say touched, it would be a hug. Service would be let me make you lunch. Then there's spend time. Hey, let's play games together. Then there are words of affirmation when hey i love you and then there is what's the fifth one I'm, I'm spacing out gifts when it's like hey i got you something little and i don't mean like here's the lamborghini waiting for you outside but more like hey i was in the store and i saw this you know i like i know you like red apples so i got you red apples so it's just that simple five languages what complicates it a little bit is the languages mix sometimes and they're not constant, so they're switching. So the child can have one language at the age of five, and it can have another language at the age of 10 or whatever. So understanding, just understanding the concept and just paying attention to what your kid does, a lot of times will tell you. So if you have a child who constantly comes and hugs you, most likely they need a hug from you. And I know to some of us, it's not like sometimes we don't want to give hugs, but it's not about you. It's You're about right. what that little person that you brought to this world needs. And sometimes you can say that, hey, you know, right now I, I can't hug you. I had a long day. I, I can't, but I know you need a hug. And sometimes you just mm -hmm. make that first step and, 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 and hug the person. So it's that it's, it's simple, yet it's complicated. complicated but yeah. if you are willing to just dive into it, it makes sense you figure things out and it makes it a little bit easy. I have my students take the love language test once a year because I want to know how can I support them? I want to know what works for them. Do I need to talk? Do I need to leave them alone? Do I need to give them gifts? And I do it once a year because it changes. And that's how we understand each other a little bit more. And then sometimes I'll 
I'll remind parents to do their test as well. It's like, hey, the kid yeah. is changing. So if you wanna, if you wanna revisit the thought, so that's that that's another like a parenting hack. Or even even have that prompt, have it like creative writing and have a prompt where it says, I feel loved when, and have them make a list. Maybe it's having tea with mom, or maybe it's, you know, bedtime story, or maybe when mom comes to the game and watches me. And it's, it gives you an understanding of what does the kids want? So you have that communication with them again, like, hey, I want to make sure that I love you the way you want to be loved. How do you want to be loved? And just asking that makes a big difference. And I think that can go with relationship, that can go with romantic partners it can go with parents adult children it can go with so it, it can go in so many ways when you just ask a person like hey i want to make sure that we are having a productive work relationship what are your preferences how do you want me to approach you how do you want me to connect with you would you be comfortable if i do this just having that conversation and asking each other how is is, is a really good start with the communication no, journey. No, I appreciate that. that is great. Yeah, I love language. That is interesting because um I've heard of it, but I love I appreciate you breaking it down. But yeah, you're right. There are many ways. And as you're saying, I'm thinking, what am I like for me? I'm a, I, I love to give kids a big hug when they do something great because it, it's a it's an affirmation, it's a confirmation, it's a confidence booster for them and they love it. And you can tell that they feed off of it, but it also teaches them about your. It's language. your, yes, it's yeah. your love language too. So yes. you are teaching yeah. those around you to yeah. love you the way you want to be loved. So you feel yes. appreciated. And as, and even if we just observe, like for a week or so, just see what the child does to you. Like, you know how little kids sometimes from when they go to the park, they bring you like a little rock and they give you little gifts. So they are showing you that their love language is, yeah. is, is a gift yeah. So my, my yeah. daughter used to do it. She would bring like leaves. And in the beginning, I was like, okay, I'm not sure what to do with this anymore. And then as I started reading, I was like, oh, that's how she's telling me. She's showing me yeah. this, right. this, this love language. And then so you kind of start. So I start giving her little gifts when I go to the stores or when I make her something. And it's that's what creates that bond of just watching what your kids do. And, you know, that goes back to technology, how we keep this this ongoing battle how much technology do the kids want or do the kids really need and there are pro and cons on each side with this technology thing but i'm inviting the parents to think of it this way if your child's love language is words of affirmation of someone talks to them and tells them that they're okay and your love language is service so all you do is keep cooking for them and you know cleaning make sure they have everything they need they need that technology to get that love because you are not talking to them because they're not getting it from you. So they need to get it from somewhere else. Somewhere so else. they're right. on the phone with their friends because their friends telling them how cool they are. They're asking them about their day, their whatever happened with so-and-so. So it's just observing the kids, what it is, or if you like, if for, for whatever reason, like just observing them. So the technology can go both ways. I'm sure there's good and bad and the lists can go on for days, mm -hmm. maybe for even weeks. But the idea is really to understand why, like what is that need that they are 
covering or they are satisfying with that technology. It could be that love language. It could be that yeah. they just need someone to talk to them and you just don't have, you tired. I get it. It's been a long day. We worked 12 hours just to provide for the family. So as parents, we not always are able or capable to give them that conversation because we we exhausted and and I totally understand. I have that too. And I am able to now to say, hey baby, I know you want to talk. I'm tired. If you want to tell me something, I'll sit and listen. Uh, but yeah. if you want like an engaged conversation, can we do it tomorrow? Because yeah. right now really I feel empty. Um, yeah. And then having that conversation. So it could be that that technology is giving them that it, it recharges them. Because yeah. no, that makes empty. sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So as you're talking about that, it made me think of something. Uh, last year, uh, there was a young lady. She's in junior kindergarten. You'll love this one. <laughs> junior kindergarten. So I'm helping out with PE and we're going back in the classroom. And she goes, Coach T, I'm having a sleepover and you're invited, but you need to ask your parents <laughs> if you can. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I love it. It's all about perception. You know, the perception. best she invitation ever, ever the best <laughs> invitation. No, she's not taking into, she's just not registering my age and things of that nature, but she knows she wants to invite me to come over. And it's just the sweetest thing, but it's one of those things that you're having a bad day. I always just make reference to that. Cause that puts a smile on my face. She that's the innocence. Yeah. And I think that's what, if we as educators are able to be equal with our students, we're not talking at them, but we are next to them. I think that's the success. I was talking to my older son and he's in Columbia Law now. And I asked him, you know, how's school? How's everything going? And he was like, I'm not liking some of the classes. He was like, really? How come? And he was like, well, professors are talking at us. They're making this big deal that they are better than us. And, and, and they are looking down at us as if they're somehow know more than we do. And while sure they have, they have their experience, however, we may know something they don't and we have different experience. So his words were, I would prefer for my professors to talk in with me for us to be able to have a conversation versus for them just lecturing and look at us down so yeah. it's a wonderful thing that she sees you as equal and I think that's how I would want my my students in most cases see me as equal and I prefer to sit next to them I don't do the classroom teaching when I stand in front I'm usually in the circle with them and now because they're all growing when you take pictures it's like wait where am I in there because <laughs> some of them are like my height and I was yeah. like I need to like a big t-shirt that says teacher or like teacher. coach, like, or Anna, just, just my name. So they can see me because I am like, I am one of the, well, I'm one of them. And, and I'm yeah. telling them all the time that I'm one of you. I'm learning, you learning. I'm learning every time you are in class, I learn something from you. You are contributing to my world. And they look at me and they was like, how you are like an adult. You have all these things you do and all this experience. And I was like, well, you're part of it. Yeah. No, I think that's a, that's a that's a great point, and and you and I uh, share that ideology because I like to be right in the middle of it, and the kids see that you're on that level. But we're also letting them know, hey, we're still trying to learn too. As coaches, we're trying to be better at what we do, and being right there in there with you 
allows us to do that because we know you're going to share things and you're going we're going to you're going to allow us to ask you questions so that we can get better at what we do so i think that that's uh a great gift to have. So uh, don't ever lose that. And it's so important. Uh, this has been a phenomenal conversation. I knew it would be. And so the, one of the things I wanted to ask before we close out, uh, two things. One, um, how our listeners can get in contact with you and find out more about you. I know you have a website in your email address. If you want to share that with us. we it, I can be found at projectbu.com. That's the website. It has the fancy contact button. <laughs> so it comes to my email. And then on Instagram, I am Project BU by Anna, but all my social media links are on the website. So once you find projectbu.com, you can find me in all other social media from there as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Anna. And my last question for you, I ask all of our guests is to mention uh, one or more individuals that have been influential in your life. Well, the list, because I've learned from almost everybody, and I would say right now in the moment, I have a very close friend of mine who has been my greatest supporter, and uh, George George Day would be the one I want to uh, address this time, because every time I have a crazy idea about the project, I, I call him, and his first thing is what can I do to help? Like, this is, this looks awesome. So he has been my greatest supporter with helping me on getting this project off the ground with technology, with, and he is my, um, uh, he's a retired project manager. So he's the one that keeps me organized. And he's the one that says, this is a really good idea, but what are the steps? <laughs> he never says that it's a crazy idea. He always says, okay, this is a great idea. Let's try it. It's going to be fun. Let's figure out how can we make it, how I can make it work. So I'm learning from him the whole project management steps. And at the same time, he gives me that let's try it feeling like you don't, I don't have to know how to make it work. I can just try it. So with him, right. I can just try it. And his wife was the most supportive, the most supportive person also because she is our devil's advocate. So every time him and I have this great idea, she would come and she was like, what if this happens? And we were like, we were fine before you throw this question at us. And she's like, well, but you need to know the answers to this. Right. Too. So George and Michelle Day, those are my two helpers at this stage of my life who are helping me get the project off the ground and moving it forward. And I, I like asking that question because of what you just described. You know, we all have people that inspire and motivate us in different stages of our lives. Some people's answers are people earlier in their lives, some people who are, you know, closer to the present, or there's some people that have had people throughout. So there's no right or wrong answers, just about those that inspire you. So uh, that's a very vivid example of the present, and it ties into what you're currently doing. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And again, thank you for your time. Great conversation, as I knew it would be. Appreciate all the experience that you've shared with us, as well as, um, I, again, I thank you so much for sharing my book with your students. Yes, and I'm, thank I'm you glad for your contribution to the project. Yes. This is yes. awesome. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Man, I didn't 
what a book. Didn't think it'd be helping like that, but I'm glad it is. That's <laughs> well, great. it makes a difference in my students' lives. It makes a difference. And like you said, it's one at a time. And you never right. know where is that ripple effect will take you because one right. shares another shares and it takes a village. And I really, I'm really appreciative of you building this village and bringing us as like-minded people together being able to make our impact our ripple effect even bigger so we can make a difference because after all you know i keep joking saying these are the kids who are going to take care of us when we are old so we need to make sure they know how to take care of us (laughs) because we are going to depend on them the country is going to depend on them their future leaders movers shakers innovators we have to raise them we have to give them all the tools we have to give them this empowerment because they will be the one future of this country and the world and the world absolutely um i just want to let our listeners know uh what adam was referring to i started a group it's a private group it's called the village of inspiration and she is a member of and these are individuals that service things that are bigger than themselves. Um, we've come across so many people and this and society's become so self-absorbed and self-centered in certain aspects. And I've been fortunate enough to meet uh, individuals like Anna and as well as uh, several other individuals. And we've all come together and it's going to be in a phenomenal movement as it grows because there's some great things in the future uh, for the Village of Inspiration. So really honored to have you be a part of it and, and really appreciate you sharing your experience and knowledge and caring for the next generation of leaders. Uh, so I'm Coach T and as always, I'm here to educate, support and inspire the next generation of leaders. Until the next episode, take care. Don't forget to check out Coach T's new podcast, Teen Speak, with fellow youth empowerment and leadership coach, Keith Senzer. Keith and Coach T interview teens and discuss challenges as well as victories that they have experienced. Available on your favorite podcast platform.